Welcome, welcome. You're listening to our podcast, Two Massage Therapists in a Microphone. My name is Mark. I'm a registered massage therapist, registered kinesiologist here in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. This is the podcast double shot. We did one today uh, over the phone from our office, and now we are back in the bedrooms holding microphones again to talk to a, a good friend of ours from the States, got in touch, said, hey, let's let's do a recording. And we're like, yeah, sure. Let's, let's get this thing going here. Let's do it. Hey, everyone. It's Amanda. And we've got Eric on the phone in Idaho. And just before... Before we three, two, one, and started the episode, I said to the guys, "Where's Idaho?" <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> so, turns oh. out I learned something new today. It's Northwest. You need and, to watch uh, more Keanu Reeves movies. I love what? Keanu Reeves. <laughs> Maybe I do. <laughs> do, you, do you do you do you know the movie I'm in reference to right now? No. Oh come on. <laughs> no, he's. He's typing things into his computer to teach me. Anyway, so we've got Eric on the phone, who's an LMT in Idaho, and also a business coach for Who's massage therapists and body workers. Mark's showing me pictures of Keanu Reeves. Exactly. Oh, <laughs> Idaho. All right. Um, so we're going to jump right in tonight, because Eric actually had a few things that he felt like we might find interesting and that our listeners would find interesting. And we kind of just chose from a list of topics what we thought would be interesting, but who knows where it'll go tonight. Maybe we'll talk about all of them. Um, so before we start, Eric, can you, for our listeners, give an introduction of yourself? You know, how long you've been a licensed massage therapist and maybe what you were doing before massage therapy, if anything, and uh, where your career is at now in 2020. Sure. Thanks, Amanda and Mark, for letting me on here. Yeah, for sure, really. Let me see. It started back, actually, I've been a massage therapist since 2010. I was uh, 19 and wanted something to do. And uh, massage was one of the options I was looking at. I loved the idea of low hours and high pay and honestly, just being able to work with people. That sounds uh, sweet when you're 19, right? That sounds sweet even when you're not. It sounds 19, sweet when you're not, but I mean, I can imagine 19 years old, you're like, wait a minute. This is an awesome career. Makes you wonder yeah. why more 19 year olds aren't like, let me be a fucking massage therapist. Right. I think, it's, I think it's the education. They don't know it's such a viable option until later in life. Anyway, sorry, we cut Eric off, but I was just thinking, I could imagine at 19 how cool this gig would sound. Oh, no, I'm too old. I don't even remember 19. Yeah, it did. Honestly, uh, that's what I used it for. I was gonna, I was gonna segue into something else. I was like, oh, I'll do this for two or three years, and then I'll go, you know, be an actor in California, or you know, finish up school, find a real job. So, the acting thing is this something that you you do? Is this something that you've you've studied, or you're just like, fuck, I just <laughs> I would just pack up my car and, <laughs> and uh, go to LA and see what happens? So I got my associates in drama and theater um, before switching to psychology. And, um, cause I don't, I don't know. Do they have associates up in like that degree up in Canada? Is that a thing? They do actually with arts programs. I know they do with arts programs. I don't know if they do with other programs because, uh, is an associate's degree similar to a bachelor. Oh no. So it's like associates is two years, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. I, I'm, I, yep. I'm pretty so, sure they have them for some arts programs because, um, I had a dude on the podcast. His name's Ross. He's from London. And he was telling me about his music degree that he has from, from the university of Western Ontario. But he's also got some other stuff going on. But I'm pretty sure one of it was some sort of a. He's going to listen to this and maybe like chew me out for <laughs> completely getting it fucking wrong. But yeah, yeah you know so. what? I can't say that I'm sure, but it's it's likely. I, I honestly think fine arts degrees have them. I tend to trust Mark with random yeah. trivia facts because he knows them. <laughs> <laughs> so wait a minute. So wait a minute. So wait, a, wait, just a goddamn minute. If I ask you for your headshot, what's it going to look like? Describe Keanu to Reeves. Me. <laughs> 
Describe to me what your headshot looks like. Is it, is it just like the standard headshot that every everyone's going to roll with, roll with, or posing with a, a bear shark in the background? <laughs> it's just like biting onto a wing of an eagle, and I'm just standing on the back. No, I'm, just I'm dying right now. That would, that would, I would, I would cast you just uh, based on that. the best part of this this entire thing is now I can't stop like. We, you and I have never met even virtually like Mark knows what you look like I've never seen you so I'm like picturing all of the, I'm picturing Keanu Reeves and a shark and there holding on to it like <laughs> maybe I shouldn't have in my, mind, in my mind you're in my mind you're Keanu Reeves <laughs> there you go <laughs> yes, maybe Keanu will listen to this and be like hey I need to meet him now yes <laughs> that'd be kind of cool actually goddamn Canadians eh um <laughs> So uh, I, I, I don't want to roll off the acting yet because acting fucking mm-hmm. fascinates me like there's no fucking tomorrow. Mm-hmm. What types of productions and things have you done then? So uh, actually right now the acting is is on hold. So I put it on hold uh, back after I finished Massage. Uh, at the end of Massage, I decided to travel and I started traveling instead. You know, I had the option of going and, you know, pinching pennies in California and working massage and acting on the side, um, or going to travel, which was something that I really wanted to do. And so I picked travel. So I'd spend my free time, uh, not massaging. I'd save up and just travel for four months at a time, backpacking, um, in Europe or living in Austria for the summer. Um, and really focused on that and doing some writing online. I love writing. So working on books, online and then coming back to the States and massaging. And, um, so the acting thing is something I put on for the future. I actually have some plans there, but, uh, we can talk about that later. <laughs> we'll focus on massage for now. Yeah, yeah. I feel like there's so many directions we can I go know, in. I Holy know. shit. I just, I, I started to bring it up because acting, acting blows me away. Like this is one fucking art that I am so fascinated with. Just like the process mm-hmm. of, of what people do when they're, yeah. when they're acting and getting into character and all the rest of it. It is something that is so difficult that I think mm-hmm. most people, they don't realize how difficult it fucking is. Watching movies at this house is uh is like a whole event. Like a line will be delivered and Mark will just like pause the movie and look at me and be like, Do you know how brilliant that just was? Like everything was in the right place. Can you like like the writing was good, the delivery was good. And he's like, he goes, Who do you think came up with that? Do you think like the actor improvised there? Do you think it was written that way? Do you think the, do you think the oh, director threw shit in? <laughs> when there's such a good moment that happens, and so many times mm-hmm. like people don't even realize like that was a gold moment. Like that was a mm-hmm. that was perfectly delivered, like you know, coming from awesome direction, coming from awesome writing, coming from fucking great editing. It's mm-hmm. like you piece all of that together and you got this one fucking line yep. that is just absolute gold and I was trying to explain to Amanda the other day I'm like oh no you this don't is, explain to me I'm with like, you this is what makes it gold because <laughs> like all of these fucking variables are fucking right on point right here right now in this moment and we just witnessed this fucking fine piece of art that'll sound like you'd be you'd be fun to watch movies with <laughs> it's a lot of chatter but it is interesting and it's I mean he analyzes music that way as well like so we were listening to we were listening to something. What were? Oh my God! What were we watching the other day? I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. We were watching <laughs> a live performance, and you said, "Even if you're..." Oh, we were watching Bruno Mars uh, cover Amy Winehouse for some reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and we were watching a bunch of. Covers. We were like, you know, it's. Even if you're not into this type of music, yes, we were okay, watching like the lighting cues and the choreography was, it, and all was, this shit together. We're like, oh, this yeah. is just 
fucking yeah, it was brilliant. It was, it was like yep. an Amy Winehouse tribute or something yeah. like that. And so just mm-hmm. the way Bruno Mars puts on that show, and especially because that music's mm-hmm. got that got that kind of fifties pop feel mm-hmm. to it, where there's just so many parts to it. There's like there's 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 fucking all these backing vocals and the harmonies, and then there's a horn section, and then there's the choreography, and then there's the rhythm section, and mm-hmm. then there's his performance on top of that. And I'm and I'm like, even if you don't like this genre of music, but you're there in the audience, you have no mm-hmm. you. You have no choice but to just sit there and get blown away, yeah. even if you don't yeah. like that music. Yeah, it's a whole story that's crafted by an army of people, and that's what's fascinating to me. Because uh, I did theater in college, of course, as part of my degree. Um, but before that, what got me into that was filming little short videos with my brothers and sisters. We would, you know, my brother would be the director. We'd choreograph it. We'd have fight scenes. We'd chop it up, editing like the sound editing. We'd strip all the sound. So if you think about in a movie, no sound that you hear is an actual sound that's being made right. while they're filming. So how did you and your siblings just like get into this? Like, let's make movies and like not just, you know, record it on mom's giant ass video camera. Like, how did how did you guys even realize that you were interested in this and you had the talent for this? Is somebody in your family into production or movies or anything? No, nobody told us that we couldn't. You know, I love that. It's simple as that. Too, right? We were just like we were homeschooled, so uh, we, you know, we we're expected to do a lot of stuff ourselves. Um, you know, as far as you know, it, it taught us a lot of self drive and stuff. We'd have to get up and study our own lessons, and then if we got everything done by noon, we could have the afternoon off to do whatever we wanted. Oh, right. And we started doing these projects that for everyone else would seem like work. You know, creating <laughs> movies but for us, it was, it was so much fun. How many siblings do you have? I have nine. So there's 10 of us. Holy hell, you just you keep getting more interesting. <laughs> and, and that's like a full cast. That's beautiful. Really? Oh, we, haven't, we haven't even we haven't even scratched the surface yet. Don't worry. <laughs> oh, man. This is going to be a long episode. All right. Everybody buckle up. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll probably have to come back for another one. So. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So, sorry, we cut you off right in the middle of your intro. So at 19 years old, you think, and all, all, also, by the way, the amount of things you had done by 19 is already pretty impressive. Maybe homeschooling is where it's at, <laughs> <laughs> right? We actually considered that as an option with our kids because no offense, teachers, I love you. If anybody's listening, that's a teacher. But Mark and I kind of felt mm-hmm. like, is the education system what we would want it to be, what we would expect for our mm-hmm. kids? And we thought maybe homeschooling is the way to go. But then I quickly realized, wait, that means I'm the teacher. <laughs> Let's reconsider this. <laughs> yep. Yep. But I mean, we do a lot of the teaching at home anyway, right? But yeah. It's a lot of work. So God bless your mom or dad. I mean, I guess I guess it could have been any parent, right? Aunt, grandparent, kind of a, or yeah, the kind of older siblings. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. Actually, that you hit on, on the key is that what's what my parents did is they would um, have a, the oldest, you know, they'd teach the thing and then they'd be in charge of the next one. He'd be in charge of the next one or in charge of the younger ones. And so they, they had this whole hierarchy of teaching or checking, kind of a check and balances like you know, the older ones correcting the younger ones' homework. And then eventually we had to start correcting our own. Mm. And that's where I think a lot of that kind of self-drive came from. Is like, you know, I'd be in charge of doing the lesson and teaching it to myself and then correcting it later on. Um, and if I got any wrong, I'd go back and fix it. There's a lot. Like, we could do a whole series of episodes on my family growing up, <laughs> especially with that many kids. Well, but, where uh, I was going is that at 19, you decide, okay, massage therapy is is the path I'm going to go. What inspired you to do massage other than like, you know, 
decent pay for a little bit of work. Was was this something that you thought you would enjoy doing? Did you know anyone else who was a therapist? Were you yourself a patient? What was your exposure? Yeah. Ironically, I never had a massage before getting one in class, like officially. (laughs) I actually would get books. I started, I'd get books from the library um, and learn a bunch of different things. So I learned like lock picking or juggling or other things that I just teach myself. And I got a book on massage and ended up working on my sister, just like a foot massage or something. I was like, let me test this out. And she was like, you know, you're pretty good, actually. And she started telling me about massage. Mm. She was like, you know, you should, you can get paid $50 an hour or $20, you know. And I was like, holy shit, that's a ton of money. Like, you know, it was a kid, 19 years old. Yeah, for sure. And you tell them they can make anything over $10 an hour. You sign me up. You know, I'm, I'm sold, yeah. yeah. And she was like... She's like, plus girls really like it. And I was like, oh, cool. <laughs> that's, that's true. Actually. That is why Mark got into massage. <laughs> that's not why I got into it. That's why. I, yes, it is. It's, it's it's not because girls like it. I went to massage went school to because girls, right. I knew that there'd be a lot of girls at massage school. It <laughs> 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 sounds fucking horrible. Oh my god. That's okay. No, no. Let's let's face it. It's a female dominated profession. You know, that's something I've I've you know fought against at first, but now it's actually an advantage. Um, being a minority, you know, it's female dominated on the client side and the therapist side. What's massage school like um, in your state? You know, what are the rules? What's the number of hours of training? Tell me about a little bit about the schooling you went through. Oh, this is going to be bad. I mean, I'm not going to name the school that I'm, I went to exactly because <laughs> I'm going to talk some shit about it. Yeah, um, go for it. But it was, uh, so I'm from Texas originally. Okay. So I'm not from Idaho. Um, so I went to school in Texas and it's 500 hours in Texas. And I think this program was like 570 or something. If I did some extra hours, um, I'd do it. And back then it was cheap. It was $1,800 for seven months course. Mm-hmm. So now it's like 10 times that. Can I ask you a question really quick yeah. on this? When people are doing massage in the States, at least at the time when you were in school, maybe you can only speak to really what's going on, what happened when you were at school, but you're, you kind of coach the stuff mm-hmm. now. So you'll have a, uh, have a pretty yep. good idea. Is this a career move for them or is this like a part-time gig? Is this just a way to make some extra cash on the side of my real job? Or mm-hmm. are a lot of people like, this is, this is my career? So yeah, that's a good question. Um, and I think it's kind of a mix and from what I've seen, the people that I coach are the ones serious about it. So maybe my view is skewed Yeah, yeah, because yeah. I don't think anybody part-time is going to yeah, be like, Oh yeah, I need a business coach. Yeah. Um, so for the people that I've seen who are serious about it, like theirs is their career. I mean, you can easily make six figures Absolutely. with massage if you're doing it right. Absolutely. And, um, a lot of people don't realize that. And honestly, it's kind of sad. Most therapists make between one and 4,000 a month. Um, and with my work, I help them get from there to five to 10. Right. Uh, a month. See, because this, I'll tell you why I'm asking, because from what what we know, because we're all therapists, right? And we've made careers out of it. If I had a chance to go to school for 500 hours and pay 1800 bucks and have a whole fucking cool ass <laughs> career, yeah. I'm like, this is a no brainer. Yeah. Sign me up. absolutely yeah. a no fucking I'm, brainer. I'm pretty sure when I went to massage school, I don't know what it is now, but I'm pretty sure it was 20 grand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you were probably 20, yeah. 25 grand. Yeah. yeah. No, it's an investment. Like, And I, I mean, mean I, I graduated, I graduated when you did, Eric. I finished in 2010 and 
So I started, I mean, my program was 2,200 hours because that was the regulation then here in Ontario. But I, so I started in 2008, it was 22 months intensive. I only got two weeks off during the Mm -hmm. year and it was full time Monday to Friday, uh, five hours a day. So 2,200 hours. And yeah, it was, I think it was between 20 and $22,000 with everything included. Like it was ridiculous. I didn't pay that, but that's what everyone else in my class paid. Yeah. yeah, No, I was just curious. I was just curious because the way, the way, the way you just made that that sound like you know that small amount of school it's not small a crazy amount, amount of money, of money yeah. and you can pull off a whole yeah. fucking you know six figure career if you really wanted Sign to sign me this. up yep. yesterday right? it's yep. not like a, you, yep. yeah well, interesting now i think a lot of people a lot of people go into that with that mindset uh cuz we had a class of 50 people so this is the largest class that that school had had and the teacher stood up the first day and she said half of you will be gone by the time that we're we're done with this semester. Was she right? And she said, "Well, let me finish." She said, "Of that half that that actually graduate, only half of you will take the test. And of the half who actually take the test of that, she's like, only half of that will be even a therapist at the end of two years." I'm trying to do fast math. She's like, "For the eighth of you that are actually," <laughs> and she was totally right. Yeah, yeah she's yeah. totally right. Only an eighth, only an eighth of the people who in my class are still therapists today. See, I guess that also happens then when you have a short duration class and it doesn't cost a whole bunch of dough. Yeah, exactly. You get a bunch of people who are like, okay, whatever. It's not like I'm putting this massive time and money investment into it. Let Mm -hmm. me do it. And I don't know what the training is like in the States. I mean, obviously it's shorter, but you still have to know anatomy. Mm -hmm. You still have to know physiology. You still have to understand majority of the things that I learned in my 2200 hours. This is making so much more sense to me. You've cleared up so so much crap because I always used to think like, okay, the, now I know why continuing education is such a fucking hot business in the States for this mm-hmm, stuff, right? Because mm-hmm. you're only getting 500 or a thousand hours, maybe tops a thousand yep. hours of education. So really the secret sauce is going to be now in whatever continuing oh, education yeah. you're 100%, taking. hundred percent. Yeah. And now I, yep, I, I, yep. now I now fucking clued in why those, I don't want to say their names, but these celebrity dudes are like living in <laughs> Costa Rica for the, for the fucking winter, you know, playing with ducks <laughs> their ducks in their backyard and shit because it's such a hot business mm-hmm. in the fucking states i mean you got to be you got to be good at what you do of course but nonetheless yeah. it's a it's a whole other ball game wow you're right on with that and the school honestly taught me barely anything like it, schools massage schools here teach you just enough not to hurt someone that's pretty right. much like that's the way my you friend know, put that's... it and that's pretty accurate yeah, and i'm actually envious of the training that other places receive i mean in australia or in Europe or in Canada, I hear about it and it blows my mind. I'm like, wow, if I had had that training, like I wouldn't have, uh, it would have put me a lot further ahead in my knowledge. Yeah. You know what? I heard a different perspective on this from a friend of ours that's been on the podcast a couple of times. Um, Scott, he, he does the Canadian massage conference. He's done conferences in the States, like all over the place. And, um, He was telling me how like some of the best therapists that he's ever met are from the States. And because I had made Mm -hmm. some sort of comment that, you know, like it's it's so strange to me how it's such a small number of hours that they go through training. And he said exactly what Mark just said. He's like, yeah, but these guys that are really serious and want to make a career out of this continuing Mm -hmm. education is all they do and they hustle and they work. And he's like, I've met some of the best massage therapists ever in the States. So like, mm-hmm. yes, we have 2,200 hours of training, but 
I don't know, are we as serious about continuing education as they are? I don't know. Are we? I mean, we are because we have a continuing education company, but in general, are we? No, that's and that makes a lot of sense because uh, the continuing education is a choice while the other part is just a requirement. Mm-hmm. Right. So you might be entirely right with that because for me, I mean, I've met a lot of really good therapists. Um and that's been a real blessing to me because I trade with pretty much everybody. I, like that was the kind of the secret sauce for my technique. If you're asking what I did right after graduating is I went to find the most expensive place in town. <laughs> I was like, I want to work with the best. And for me, the best equated the most money. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went downtown, you know, hotels downtown are probably the most expensive. Um, if you're not working on a resort and uh, I was lucky enough to get in, I mean, just, fresh, wet behind the ears into this place at where therapists have been working for 20 years. who have been working for 15, eight years. And I traded with every single one of them that I could and like straight up stole their techniques. <laughs> you know, I don't <laughs> yeah. even consider it feeling. I was like, I want to learn from the best. Yeah, for sure. And go ahead and, and, you know, copy all their ideas and stuff. And then, you know, table tie, you know, a lot of deep tissue actually started working more in the neck. They didn't teach us really anything with neck massage in school, um, which I consider really unfortunate. I think that's also something that's more common. I know some therapists do that here in Canada as well, but I think in the States it's common when you graduate to go out and seek a mentor and like sort of, you want to sort of become somebody's apprentice and learn from them. Whereas I feel like here we graduate and everyone's just like, let me go be self-employed. Yeah. Well, that's also part of when you when you're graduating here and then you get your license from doing your licensing exam and you are now classified as a regulated healthcare professional then i think maybe you feel like okay well i've made it to this spot and now i can kind of sit cool for a little bit and then if i really want to learn something or change my practice or blah 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 blah, blah then i'll then i'll go yeah. learn but maybe it's just like you know what i just fucking hustle just to get here and i'm i now in the door let me just fucking see what this room is like before i start rearranging the fucking furniture but I mean, one thing we've talked about a lot and I can say after being, you know, now that I've been in practice almost 10 years is that just like what Eric said, what they learn in school, that's how I feel about school here. I feel like they teach us sort of just enough to be safe and somewhat effective. No, like, no, no. But, I think we need but a little bit extra. And I think that differentiates like the really awesome therapist from like the eh. Okay. Yeah, one of the bigger differences, to be honest with you, is probably just the amount of time that we spend on things like pathophysiology, you know, yeah. like exercise physiology, pathophysiology, neurology, like all of that shit is, I feel like is probably where we end Yeah, up. we go in way deeper, like we're talking like cellular level for everything. Whereas I guess if you're doing 500 hours, it's a little more practical. Probably. I'd yeah. assume so. Anyway, we could talk yeah. about the differences in education all day. <laughs> Once you got out and you went to find the most expensive pers- people and you stole all their, all their techniques, um, what was what were your early days in your career like? Were you working for someone? Did you decide to go out on your own? And are we still in Texas this whole time? Yes. Okay. Yep. I'm okay. still in Texas. So, cool. uh, yeah, I was working um, in Texas downtown for... Uh, quite a few years. That's when I started. I went on a trip to Ireland um, and then went on a little world trip, like two months, went traveling in France by myself, um, just with money that I'd saved up. And like I said, that kind of changed the direction of the acting thing. Yeah, I was working for someone else. I didn't even think about having my own business at that point. Um, I don't know why. It just didn't enter my head. Um, that's one of the big things I think is lacking in schools is the actual 
knowledge about running your own business. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know how it is in Canada if they teach you like a lot of business stuff in schools. No, it's uh, not fantastic. School. Yeah, and that's that's been one of my that's been my experience with the schools down here. I've even thought about writing a textbook. Um, I talked to a few teachers and in, in schools, and they said that they would love to have a massage business textbook mm-hmm. to uh, to tap into. So that's on the back burner right now but uh yeah and then i went on a little trip to find myself and ended up getting tired of texas the heat just got to me after a while and decided to explore i wanted to move to a new place and came up to boise idaho initially i worked for a few spas in the area um but i really wanted at that point to launch my own i was kind of tired for working for other people why idaho so yeah ironically I hadn't heard of Idaho before my sister moved up here. Okay, so you knew somebody. It wasn't like a random decision, like looking at a map. Well, this looks like it would be cooler way up here. (laughs) (laughs) And by the way, I'm from Toronto, Ontario, Canada. And like we had, Mm -hmm. you know, a couple of inches of snow today. So when I hear people (laughs) say like, oh, I got tired of the heat. I'm like, I don't get it. I don't don't understand. Uh, Humidity. So imagine a wet blanket every time you walk outside. And you just start sweating. It's the wet blanket wraps around you, and you don't feel like doing anything. You just want to go take a siesta. Uh, the <laughs> sun beats down and warms up all the air molecules around you, so it feels like you're swimming through a swamp of air. Um, you just, make it sound awful. That. <laughs> imagine that you starting in March and lasting all the way until November when it finally cools down. What do you think, Mark? I don't know. I don't know if that'd be enjoyable either. <laughs> What do I know? <laughs> so, but it is nice. I mean, I'm headed down there for Christmas, and that's t-shirt and shorts weather. So, I can't complain about Christmas time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think March to November, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I found myself doing. I was like, I'm leaving for most of the year to go travel or to go, you know, be outside of the state. Like, why am I even still here? So, anyway, I packed my bags and didn't look back, and came up here, and actually. Boise is pretty awesome. It has all four seasons, you know, just picture book what you'd imagine them. It's growing super fast. It's actually the number one growing city in the United States, I think, for the past year and this year. So once you got to Boise, what was next for you? Uh, so like I said, I started working for a couple of spas, but I wanted to open my own place. Uh, so after I had built up a little bit of clientele, I kind of scooted out on my own and really just kind of... Uh, puttered around like honestly I was, I was living the life i was like i work up barely any hours a week and i'm just enjoying being out in the sun uh reading books just really living it up and uh not serious at all about pushing my career forward and then i happened to get a client who was a business coach and he proposed the idea of trading massages for business coaching so wait 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 wait, wait. when you went from the spa to working for yourself what was working mm-hmm. for yourself? What, what did you do there? Did you get a place, brick and mortar place? Did you have a home practice? Did you do like mobile? Did you just did you work as an independent contractor for somebody else? Like, what do you what did you do from the spa when you said I went to work for myself? Uh, yep, yeah, I just went and hopped on Craigslist and found a a place that was available and just hung up my shingle and. I mean, I had transferred my license already, of course. Um, But uh, yeah, I just hung up my shingle and started working with the clients that I already had and started building a little referral list. But honestly, it was pretty small time compared to what's going on now. Right, right, right. All right. And so in that practice, you now have this business coach that's willing to barter with you? Yep. Cool. Tell me about this. And so 
he really, um, I guess lit the, lit the fire and switched my perspective on a, on a number of things. Cause I, uh, like I said, got my associates down in Texas, um, the one in drama and theater. And then when I moved up, I ended up, uh, transferring my credits and started working in psychology because I figured I'd already had enough experience with, you know, on the physical side with the body and with massage. Um, and I was really fascinated with psychology and just everything in the human mind and how it worked. Was the studying psychology just an interest thing or were you hoping to do something career wise with it? Uh, no, I was never interested in being a a psychiatrist or psychologist. Um, that, uh, I really actually was just using school for learning new things. Like I took French, I took dancing, I took, you know, studied anthropology, just (laughs) whatever random courses fit in with my schedule. Um, I, I mean, that could be a whole topic in itself, how I see college and the system that it's become to kind of churn and burn through people rather than actually fostering education. Mm. But um, meeting the business coach really kind of lit that fire under me. And I finished up my degree in psychology. I started, you know, working full force in massage to build up my um, career and ended up really falling in love with this kind of coaching idea and the um, the whole idea of helping somebody out by just tweaking their perspective. And it's amazing, actually, like the whole, our whole lives are controlled by how we see the world. So that business coach that you were bartering with, were you doing coaching with him for your massage business or to develop your coaching business? Uh, it started out, it started out for the massage business and that's what we really focused on. And, um, and then towards the end, because I ended up switching business coaches, um, which, you know, is pretty common. You use a coach to, to get to yourself to a next level, and then you find a different coach to help you with something else. So he, he really helped me boost my massage business and kind of change my perspective on a lot of the things that I still continue to this day. But uh, a, lot of the, a lot of the massage techniques, kind of the massage business techniques that he taught me, um, transitioned really well into coaching. I feel like coaching is such a, and we've said this before, coaching is such a huge business in the States. Like it's, mm-hmm. it seems like there's so many um, people like who go that route. Yeah. And it's becoming, it's definitely gaining popularity here. Everybody's talking about coaching, whether it's for massage or like life coaching, or I, mm-hmm. I feel like everybody I meet, it's like coaching is a side business. Do you feel now that there's a lot of competition or do you feel like because you guys all do things so differently, like you don't really have a ton of competition for clients, like the people that make sense for you come to you. Like, how do you feel the competition is down there? Um, so I kind of feel it the same way that I feel about massage is that uh, the right type of clientele is going to be drawn to that style. It's going to be drawn to that, those techniques. Um, and I find coaching actually is very, like I was surprised when I actually looked into like the official world of it's very incestuous <laughs> in that the, uh, if there's so much coaching coaches, coaching coaches who coach coaches, like of the majority I would right. say of coaching is all tied up within coaching each other, how to coach. So it's kind of like a rain cloud over you know, a city and barely any rain is getting down to the actual city. Like it's all just built up <laughs> in the cloud. Um, so for people who are actually on the ground doing the work with people who need it, uh, I don't think that there's actually that much competition, especially in the massage world. Mm. I mean, I can think of a few people who I guess who I'd consider competitors, quote unquote. I guess I don't really consider people competition because we're just 
we teach different things. Right. And we come at it in different angles. And, you know, it's like having tea or having coffee. You know, you're going to have your blend of choice. People love differences. People like options. Yeah, for sure. And like I, I was saying earlier, because as Mark said, today was a double shot. and We recorded a podcast earlier. Like you can learn something from almost everyone. So I can see why people would bounce around to different coaches because, you know, you learn from one. Okay, got it. Let me let me see what else is out there. And coaches, coaching coaches. I never really thought about that, but I can actually think of a whole bunch of examples where I know that that is happening. So that's funny. It's a very incestuous little world. Mark doesn't call himself a coach in any way, but just from the exposure of doing the podcast and because he teaches so many courses with Con Ed Institute, like he has people coming out of every corner, every, every part of like the States and Canada and whatever, all these people messaging him, like, I'd love to pick your brain. And so he's been sort of like, not officially, but sort of having a little side business of coaching people. He's on zoom calls Mm -hmm. like multiple times a week, just helping people get their heads straight and figure out like, what do you want to do? And what do you got to do to get there? And uh, yeah. yeah, it's he's developed a little side business of coaching that was, I don't even think, intentional. I don't know how people do it for for work, though. I really don't. It's so draining. It really is. It's, it's, it's fucking draining. It is. It yeah. is. It can be draining. I just find that I have, like, a monumental amount of energy for some reason. Like, I just, it feeds me. Maybe, so maybe on, because you know. you're not even 30. Maybe that. Maybe that's why. <laughs> I, just, I just turned 30 actually last week. Oh, happy birthday. <laughs> Dirty 30. I was pregnant so. when I turned 30. So no party. No, <laughs> no, no, no party here. I was going to go to Amsterdam for my birthday, but COVID. it didn't, uh, isn't happening. So. <laughs> so I'm going to Mexico instead. <laughs> oh, okay. I am like fascinated when people are telling me they're still traveling because somehow I've like wow. blocked mm-hmm. that out as like a thing that we're, that we can do mm-hmm. even though, oh, no. so we met somebody, travel. no, I know there's a, right now there's a, plane full of people all in masks yeah. i heard this on the news today by the way because there's some mm-hmm. place of worship some church or whatever that is in fucking pure uproar because their facility holds 1100 people but they can't mm-hmm. have a service even with 10 people yeah like their the facility wow. holds fucking it's insane this how many people it seats but, but yeah people. you're right and there's people and on like, a poorly ventilated like, aircraft in masks <laughs> yeah yeah i know because mm-hmm. we met a therapist uh, in one of our courses last weekend and she was telling me that she's taken a whole month off of work in January because she wants to go visit mm-hmm. some friends that she knows in Costa Rica. And I was like, what? And she's like, yeah, I'm, I'm taking my vacation. I always take a vacation in January, but she has to book the whole month mm-hmm. off because she's got a quarantine like before and after. So she basically gets, yeah. I don't know, seven to 10 days with her friends and the rest of the time is quarantined. You know the scary part for me about something like that is imagine you go somewhere and then within two seconds, the world decides it's going to turn upside down and it's like travel restrictions everywhere, travel restrictions everywhere. And now I'm stuck in this fucking place. That's the mm-hmm. only that's the only reason why I would ne- like I think I know someone this happened to her in Cuba. She was at the beginning of COVID she was in Cuba. Boom, shut down. Like she, no one's leaving Cuba right. and no one's fucking mm-hmm. flying into Canada. You know what I mean? It Could was be just, worse. She's on a beach. I'm just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> like that's 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 the main reason why I'm like I don't understand how people are traveling, man. I know right. it's like there's so is there's such extremes. I know people who like still haven't left their house and there's people going to Costa Rica. He won't mind because he's a traveler. He's like exactly. yeah, I travel yeah. so I'm 
so so big deal. I'm stuck in fucking Costa Rica. Do you yeah, know what I mean? like for me, for me, I'd be like, get the fuck. I just want my own fucking bed. I want my car. I want my clothes. Now that I have children, <laughs> I'm so much more afraid of everything. Like nothing seems like easy peasy, and I could be laid back because I'm like, no, I've got kids with me. So yeah, no, yeah. I don't think I'll be traveling for quite some time now. I understand. I, I understand. Like, it's, and see, but he's got a good. It doesn't make sense on some levels, but like when you consider, uh, like the area that we're in is considered a hot spot, and they're even having uh, what is it rationing for the the hospitals? That's what they're considering for right. where I'm at. Right. And then I look at Mexico's numbers; <laughs> they're like a tenth of what we're at. And so yeah. I'm like, it makes sense. That, like, I'm actually helping the situation by. By taking off and <laughs> relaxing for a month. You're saving the world, <laughs> taking off, getting out and, of there. And you know the beauty of it, the coaching thing, you can do it fucking from anywhere. Totally. You really can. Exactly. All right. I want to he- hear about the coaching business, though. Tell me all about the coaching business. Yeah. So uh, I'm actually going, and I'm going to be, I wanted to take this time to kind of think about my 30s. Um, it's my birthday present myself, but I'm also going to be writing a book. Um, it's called The Five Mountains, and it's based on my philosophy for coaching. So my coaching has a foundation in a kind of this uh, dynamic, this philosophy that I thought of when I was younger, of that there are five different sectors in life that we uh, that we have. And I found that by working on habits in each of them, by working on goals in each of them, I was able to balance my life out and be much happier and much more successful than just you know somebody who's focused just on money or someone who's just focused on physical fitness or someone who's focused on their relationships being good. And by creating this concept for my life when I was younger, and it really boosted me and helped me grow, um, that when I started coaching, I was like, I kept on mentioning it to people. And I was like, you know what? This actually could be a viable coaching philosophy. And so I had this book banging around in my head for a while, um, and I want to get it out on paper. So that's kind of what the trip's about as well. So what are these five things? I got to know. So, yeah, the five mountains are... Uh, physical, mental, financial, relational, and spiritual. And so physical, of course, is like taking care of yourself physically, you know, your whole body. That includes diet, includes yoga, you know, working out, whatever, like taking care of this um, meat sack that we were born into. Did you say meat sack? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, keep going. (laughs) All of that. That's what you fucking pick up. Mental... (laughs) <laughs> just making sure I heard him right. <laughs> uh, mental is a focus on like education. It's a focus on perspective, um, focus on your attitude and emotional well-being. Your just like focus on how your mind is. You know what you're learning, what you're studying, and financial, of course, which is a big one. Like a lot of people come to me for financial help, and I'm like, that's only a piece of the puzzle. Like I want to work on the entire picture when I work with people. Mm-hmm. But financial is really important. You know, it's the energy, it's the lifeblood of uh, our world now. But, you know, the human body has blood in it to make it work, but the point of the human body isn't to produce blood. So I see money the same way. You know, we need money to survive. It's very important. Um, you know, and most people, most of my clients, well, not most of them, all of them, I'd want to see financially successful, financially abundant, living that life of where they're able to achieve that. So I consider that like financial would be like wealth, investment. Um, and we talked about retirement. That was one of the topics I know that I mentioned to Mark. Oh, yes. Once we get through the mountains, I'm going into the retirement piece. So, because, you know, that's what I focus on as well. And I find a lot of 
coaches don't focus on that for massage. They're like, oh yeah, get your massage business as successful as possible. And it's like, well, what about after? Exit strategy, exit strategy. Most people think though, when they hear exit strategy, they think, oh, you're giving up or you're not going to put your effort into it. No, no, no. Mm -hmm. Exit strategies are important. A hundred percent. Exit strategies are important. And I think that maybe some people might be more willing to listen to that post-COVID. Like, I think some people are realizing that you need to have, uh, financially, you need to have your ducks in a row because anything could happen at any time and the rug could be pulled from under you and you can't spend your entire life just trading your hours for dollars because sometimes it's not possible. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, massage therapists are some of the worst people I've seen with money. I have my theories about why, but um, finishing up the mountains real quick. Uh, Relational is, uh, of course, relationships. I consider it to be the most important mountain. Um, and includes a relationship with yourself. That's a relationship a lot of people forget. Uh, it's arguably the most important relationship in your life because you'll be there until the end. So uh, having that relationship with yourself and really uh, going in deep on that, I think provides a lot of value for people's businesses because for massage therapists, they are the business. So if they don't have a good relationship with themselves and love themselves where they're at and respect their time and respect their body, you know, they're, they're going to go down. That's not that's not a good situation to be in. Um, and then for the last mountain, it was one that I didn't consider initially when I was younger. Um, but when I got older, I realized there's something missing. And uh, spiritual is kind of it's kind of unique to it's kind of customizable to what the person believes. I know mm-hmm. it's not entirely like religion or um, you know whether you call it God, the universe, uh, pattern, whatever you want to call it. There's something else. There's something. It's a bigger purpose. It's a bigger picture. It's your place kind of within the overall puzzle. Um, and that's when you, when people hit their 40s or hit their 50s and have that midlife crisis, and they're like, what am I doing? I'm financially successful. I'm fit. I have good relationships. Um, you know, I have this great education, but I'm missing something. And that's that spiritual element. That's that everything being in tune. That's your place within the universe. That's when people start trying to figure out the meaning of life and what is this, why am I here and what am I meant to do? And yeah, mm-hmm. spirituality. So yeah, that's it. That's my philosophy. And I just got to get that down on paper and make it a bit longer to make it a book. So let's talk about the retirement piece since that was meant to be our topic tonight. But I mean, we realized very early on, we have a lot of things to talk to you about. And remind me, cause I want to know why he thinks massage therapists are horrible with Oh, money. yeah. No, you know what? That first. <laughs> yeah, back there you said, you know, you've got some theories. You've got some theories why, why massage why therapists are horrible, massage therapists with, money. Are horrible yeah. with money. Let's, let's yeah. hear it, man. I'm, I'm curious. So these are theories mostly because I've always been good with money. And so it's always surprising to me that they, a lot of people I met in the massage industry weren't. A lot of it is mindset. I think that a lot of people come from, and I've seen this outside of massage too, but a lot of people come from this mindset that uh, money is bad and that money is scarce and that money is, there's a finite amount. And if it's in my bank account, it's going to be gone the next day because there's always something to pay for. So I might as well spend it now while I have it and buy things that make me feel good, uh, like a car, uh, a new wallet, new purse. And for people who are in the massage industry, uh, <laughs> this is, Somebody took offense to this before when I brought it up, but I compare it to strippers. Is strippers, they get a ton of money and they have low self-control and they spend it all. If you know, unless they're smart strippers, which in that case they won't be strippers for very long. You know, no offense to strippers. <laughs> you're offending RMTs. You're offending LMTs. You're offending strippers. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. How else are you going to pay for med school? Hey, you said it can. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's you know, and there's that that empathetic nature, and there's it's it's kind of like a it's a perfect storm of a lot of money uh, at once meeting somebody with poor impulse control and someone who um, honestly has never been taught to prepare for the future. Like, in you know, money is money skills are not taught in high school. They're not taught in college. They're not taught in massage school. No, you're so right. So if somebody's making a ton of money, then, you know, what do they do with it? They don't know what to do with it besides spend it because they're not used to having that much. And so instead of investing it, instead of putting some away for later, because people's mindset are usually the way things that are are now will be the way they will always be. Mm. And uh, they're not counting on coronavirus. They're not counting on their body breaking down. They're not counting on all this other stuff. And honestly, for a lot of them, they don't care because they're like, I'd rather have this quick, fast and easy pleasure than something longer term. Yeah, I can see that. I think that I was very guilty of majority of that when I was young. Make a lot of money, spend a lot of money, make a lot of money, spend a lot of money. And I remember mm-hmm. in the one of the first places I ever worked, I was talking to one of the chiropractors that owned the clinic that I was at. And we were talking about a book that all of us were reading and I said something along the lines of, I was like, Oh, but I hate money. She's like, what? Why the fuck would you say that? What do you mean you hate money? Mm-hmm. And then I like actually thought about it. I'm like, you're right. I don't hate money. I hate that I don't have money, but why don't I have money? Cause I say shit like I hate money. Like it's my own fault. Money is so <laughs> interesting. Money is so interesting. How, how it really has a massive play on, on, on how you view the world and what you do. I'll give you the example. Was it, I mean, we were watching, was it Comedian Cars, Coffee, something, whatever, Seinfeld show? Was that what we saw Trevor Noah on? Mm. It was somewhere. Or maybe it was Howard Stern. It was somewhere we were watching Trevor Noah being interviewed. And Trevor Noah is like a workaholic. Like that dude works non-fucking-stop, yeah. right? He's got his show. He still does comedy. He still does all this other I think crap. it was Comedians in Cars Getting right? Coffee. And, and, and whoever was interviewing him was like, well, like, dude, like, why do you continue to work like this? You don't have to. And his response is, because... I never want to feel poor again. He's like, I'm always in money scare. As ridiculous as it sounds that I have so much of it, I'm always in money scare because growing up fucking poor made me realize I never want to be fucking poor again. And that's interesting because I think like what Eric was saying, I think a lot of people who grew up without money, like they just assume like, this is how life is. So that when they make money, they spend money. It's like, oh, I finally have money to buy like the fancy car or the fancy clothes, like shit I could never get when I was poor. Instead of looking at it like Trevor Noah and thinking, okay, I have money. Let me put some of this away. Let me keep it and keep working and keep working. working. For me, it wasn't even like the put money away. It's like, I'm a millionaire and I'm still hustling and I'm not going to stop hustling because I'm I'm always in fear that I'm going to fucking be poor. Mm -hmm. As ridiculous as that sounds. Like the people's relationship with money is just so fucking mind blowing. It's Mind blowing. And that's why we talk about how uh, like very, very, very like like funny money people, they have no idea about the fear. They have no idea like what the rest of us actually go through all the time. Like, oh, you want something? Mm-hmm. Just get it. They actually did a really fascinating study on people who are lucky. And I can't remember the um, specifics of the study where it was done. I think it was done in England. Um, 
but they they found that people who thought that they were lucky, they since they viewed the world in that way, they were more likely to spot opportunities to be lucky to to find that they put like a five pound note on the ground on the way to an interview that they had scheduled, and that the lucky people quote unquote found it, or they had a billboard up that said, "Hey, Amanda, call this number and you'll get ten thousand pounds." It would say my and name. Guess what? Ask Mark. Since the, the day we've met, I've said <laughs> I'm just lucky. Like shit, good shit just happens mm-hmm. to me at the at the yeah. craziest times. Like if. If something really horrible happens, you know, like I, I lose a bunch of money or something really bad happens. There's always a part of me Mm -hmm. that's like, somehow this is going to get fixed. And then something ridiculous will happen where somebody will be like, Hey, you know what? I underpaid you and I owe you $2,000. I'm like, Oh, there it is. We're good again. So yeah, the billboard would say my name, Eric. It would. (laughs) My mom always gets mad. She's like, you always get free stuff. You always get like money just finds its way into your pocket. And it's true. I've found you know, $40 in cash on the ground. I found like, I just stepped out of my car and there's a $20 bill hanging on the bush next to my car. I'm like, <laughs> that's just, you know, I just, <laughs> I call it the Irish luck. Like seems to find me. Are you lucky with um, other things other than money? Like, are you lucky like in your life where like you just get good opportunities, good things? Well, like Yes, because he's lucky. He's got an outlook on life where he sees yeah. these opportunities. So I'm assuming the answer is yes. Yeah, it is. And it's, it's entirely the, the viewpoint, like the people who didn't think they were lucky didn't even look for it because in their world, they would not have that opportunity. Right. And so you have to ask yourself, you know, whoever's listening, <laughs> is that, uh, do you feel lucky today, punk? <laughs> <laughs> you can't remember how many fucking shots he did, eh? <laughs> Man, <it's not> <laughs> I, 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 no, I was actually thinking, bit. what are you talking about? But yeah. Dirty nope. Harry, dirty hit. That's where the line's from. <laughs> Right. Thank he you. chases, he chases the the bad dude all the way down to the fucking docks. He's shooting, 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 and he's finally got his gun on him. And the guy's like lying on the ground. He's like, you know, I can't remember how many shots I fired. Uh, it was five or six. So, do you feel lucky? Right. <laughs> no, <laughs> but seriously though, like it's all about the mindset, and that's mostly what I teach in coaching. It's like switching the perspective on something that's happened can change your entire worldview and your entire fortune, your entire, you know, success or failure. Whether you think you can or you think you can't, either way, you're right. It was about time for me to say that again. (laughs) (laughs) Can someone coach and not have the experience of whatever that person needs? Can can someone coach someone through something they they don't have much experience with? Um, That's a good question. I think that they might be able to, but it'd be kind of like me telling you if you never were did a massage, how to massage me while I'm laying there on the table. Um, I feel like, or like looking at a picture book of it and or reading about a massage and then trying to get it or tr- reading about driving and trying to drive. So is coaching really, really different from person to person? Are, are there, are there, are there fundamentals that are used with coaching clients? Are there certain fundamentals that are there, like that are universal uh, that you'll see from, from coach to coach to coach to coach to coach? Or is like everyone just completely different in their approach? No, I think that there are fundamentals. I think that uh, for a huge part of coaching, it's accountability. And I tell this to my clients straight up. I'm like, you already know what you need to do. I'm just here to make sure that you do it, (laughs) you know, for a large part of the time. Like my clients aren't stupid. They know what they need to be doing. I know, I knew what I needed to be doing for my massage business. I just wasn't doing it. Um, You know, and having someone there and being accountable is huge. They did this study. They found, uh, I love studies, by the way. 
they found this, the, they had this class and they told the people, okay, exchange phone numbers. Cause in a year, this person's going to call you and make sure that you did the thing that you promised to do to improve your life. And they, they asked all the people afterward and they said that that was the one thing that they kept thinking about is that one day some stranger's going to call and be like, Hey, did you actually do that thing that you said you were going to do? And that inspired them to do it. That's kind of cool. I wonder if I would be inspired by that. Mm-hmm. That's hard. Mm-hmm. That's hard for me to say. Cause part of me would feel like maybe, yeah. Yeah. And the other part of me would be like, fuck off. <laughs> Someone calls me. Hey, did you do that thing? I'm like, who the fuck is this? <laughs> <laughs> fuck off. You took that seriously? Get the fuck out. I don't know. See, I, I don't know. Or, but I'm, but I'm also like all into the, all into that shit too. So, I don't know. It's so mm-hmm. weird. Fuck. I want to know. I'm gonna try it. I'm gonna find someone. To try <laughs> You've got to know. Yeah, I'm try you it. start the group. So, are do you do like do you actually treat clients or patients anymore, or are you 100 coaching? Sorry, I don't know if you talked about no, this I already. Jumped, I jumped. But do you do you still practice, Eric? So, yeah, yeah. I have a select group of clients that I still see. Um, you know, it's crazy. I've been uh, I raised my rates um, what three times in the past year and a half, two years. And, Same. Um, people people keep coming back. I'm like, I'm raising my rates to stop people from coming in. <laughs> well, the marketplace will but tell you. Right? It's not working. Yeah. 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 You know, it's, uh, people keep coming back in. And honestly, like, I find it, I find it really relaxing to work and do massage. Not when I have to, just because I want to. Yes. That's what um, I was about to say. Like, we're in the same spot, the three of us, where we've hit a point in our massage therapy career that we can be so picky and choosy about who we see, when we see, what type of work we're going to do, what hours we're, because it, it's not the bread and butter anymore. Yeah. Right. So this is, I'm at the point where I've never enjoyed the job more because I'm in like 100% control here, complete control. Mm-hmm. There was always pieces that I never had control of because I had to do the work to make the money to, you know, for whatever, yeah. but now that it's not the bread and butter, it's the passion piece. It's so different. Yep. It is so different. Like it's a, such a, if you're an RMT and or a massage therapist and you're listening to this and you're like, I want that feeling. This to me is the pinnacle, right? I treat mm-hmm. when I want to, because I want to with whom I want to treat mm-hmm. and blah, yep. blah, 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 blah. Yeah. yeah. You know what? I, I got a text message from a friend today who's a clinic owner and one of her therapists is going on vacation for two weeks in January. And she was like, Hey, Hey, here's the dates that she normally works. Is there any chance you could maybe come in and cover? Because like nobody, she's not like she can hire someone for two weeks, but she doesn't want to turn away so many clients. It's a very, very busy clinic. And of course I want to help my friend, but there's the other part of me that was like, Oh, like I'm going to have to like work whatever hours you want me to work and treat your people. And I'm like, Oh, it just seems like mm-hmm. less appealing right now. <laughs> but yeah. no, I will help her because I'm a nice person. <laughs> So let's talk about like why I I have to know when you and Mark started talking about setting up this date to record and you had all these topics in mind, why retirement? Like, are you close to retirement? Are you, is it what you were talking about before? You're just helping people maybe get in that mindset of having an exit strategy and thinking about retirement, you know, not two years before Mm -hmm. it happened. Um, I guess I don't, because I don't consider retirement like a lot of other people consider retirement like retirement for some people is just, Oh, I'm not going to work. I'm just going to read books and lay in the sun or travel or something. And honestly, I don't think that's realistic. Like from what I've learned about happiness, the happiest people are the ones who continue to do something. 
So that's when I say retirement, I'm talking about livability and having money after stopping doing massage. You know, it's not that you're not going to maybe do a little bit of massage. You're not going to be involved with teaching it. But I, I guess the reason why I included that as a piece in uh, the topics, I think it's really important. And I think that a lot of other uh, comp- like of my competitors, I guess, in the massage uh, coaching world don't talk about it as much. And they don't talk about it because it's not as sexy as talking about building up your business. Um, That's but true. I would love for each of my clients to have an exit strategy or even like a, an escalator strategy where they're like slowly going out and transitioning into passive income. Like I would love for everybody leaving the massage industry to have some sort of passive income for them to retire on. Mark's just nodding. Like, I don't know if he knows that nobody can see him, but me, (laughs) he's just (laughs) nodding in agreement right now. Is there anything else that you would want to share with people, Eric, anything that you feel that you've got some insight on and that could be beneficial for body workers anywhere? Yeah. Um, soft skills. And that's what they call them. I don't really like that term, but uh, the soft skills for the industry, other ones in addition to just getting better at massage. For anyone who doesn't know, what are soft skills? Uh, so they're your skills. And so they'd call that hard skills, um, which makes them sound cooler to work on. And they have those in any industry, whether it's engineering, electrician work or massage. And basically it's the the bread and butter of it. So it's how good you are, the techniques. All the like technical stuff, yeah. 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 yeah, the technical side. Yeah. You're learning the techniques. That's the hard skill. So the soft skills um, are so soft all skills. the other shit. <laughs> what do you feel are the most important soft skills for people in our industry? Um, I mean, I may be a bit biased, but I think psychology is really important. Um, you know, after studying the mind and realizing it's connection and the, the importance it has to play on this cycle uh, we see of people getting stressed and that stress setting into the body and then the body stress making more mind stress and then the therapist has to come in and kind of break that connection. I don't know if y'all have ever read The Body Keeps the Score. I consider that probably like a phenomenal book for any therapist to read. Uh, it's required reading for anybody who becomes my client. It's uh, the focus on how um, trauma or other psychological, strong psychological pain um, manifests itself physically. And uh, the psychologist who wrote it found that very similar diseases were even uh, and conditions were appearing in the bodies of his clients who had gone through very similar experiences. And so basically, it's about how the mind manifests, like, because these people had this, this self hatred after experiencing this this either sexual trauma or some other abuse. And they basically had this like hatred towards themselves and their body. And the body listens to that and was like, oh, okay, if we hit ourselves, like we might as well create a cancer that eats ourselves or create other conditions in our body. And we don't realize how powerful the mind is. So mm-hmm. if therapists can really look into that, and see that the environment that they're creating in their massage room is really, really important for getting people in that mode, back in kind of a deprogrammed mode where they can fix those issues. Yeah, and I agree with you there that like, un- as a therapist, a soft skill that you should have, you don't necessarily have to study psychology, but just being able to understand people, you know, we talk a, a lot about being able to meet people where they are. So, you know, not looking at mm-hmm. people as 
just mechanics and not just looking at the body as a mechanical thing, which is Mm -hmm. difficult for some people, especially like Mark and I who come from a kin background. You know, we look at things very Mm -hmm. mechanically, but you have to look at your your patient as a whole person. And being that in, I don't know about where you are, but where we are, it's very, um, very popular to look at like the biopsychosocial model of pain, like to understand that mm-hmm. the person coming to you, how, what they're experiencing isn't just because of what's going on physiologically, you know, their, their mental and emotional states come into it, uh, socioeconomic placement, like all of this stuff matters. And so if you're, mm-hmm if you want to be successful as a body worker, you can't just look at mechanical things. You have to be able to understand people, understand humans, and, you know, understand that not everybody is going to think the way you do. Not everybody is going to react to things the way you do. And being able to have like a little bit of empathy without taking on everybody's shit to fully understand this person in front of you. And maybe then you can figure out like how to best work with them in your treatment room and create the space that they need to get better. So Mm -hmm. psychology is huge in our industry. And I think that um, that sometimes also is the difference between like, a really great therapist and an okay therapist. You can be great technically, but if you're not really a people mm-hmm. person, I, I don't know how successful you can be. Like the person has to be the most important thing to you, right? Yep. Is that easy yep. to do? Or to? Are you asking me or him? I'm asking anyone, anyone that'll answer. Because <laughs> what you just described, I mean, I got no problem with that. But what you just, what you just described in, in full... I can see someone going, that sounds just fucking hard to do. It's, well, so and I think, it but it's, a, it's a skill. It's a soft skill and it's one that has okay. to be developed. And I think that's part of what Eric is saying with his coaching is that, you know, it is so possible. Is it hard to develop? Is it, hard to, is it hard to develop? I don't know. I guess it depends on you. This is something that's always come very naturally to me. I think I relate really mm-hmm. well to different types of people. I can understand people. You know, majority of my Does clients. Does it come naturally to you because you've had exposure to a whole bunch of people? Anyone under the fucking sun? you probably had exposure to no i don't think that's why i think that that genuinely like innately i am somebody that's very interested in people like i'm interested in the way people think and it's it's taken a lot of work like understanding myself like when you know i hate to sound so cliche but you know how people say like oh you get triggered by things like i really actually stop and think about like why does what that person said bother me why am i annoyed by their reaction why like those things just i think if you can look at yourself to help you understand other people. And that's why I was saying like being able to be empathetic, like understanding like where this person must have come from, what their, you know, what their life must be like and how that relates to the way that they behave. And I don't know, I guess it does sound like it's difficult to do, but it's something, like I said, that I I feel has been natural to me. Here's the thing is that I believe it's kind of a combination of nature and nurture because you had the seeds there originally and you got, you were in the right environment for them to be grown and nurtured. But I do think there is, if you've ever looked at uh, Howard Gardner's theory of multiple intelligences, uh, there are eight different intelligences, main ones that they have, mm-hmm. that humans have. And a lot of times we study in school, and we're like, oh, that person's stupid, that person's intelligent. We're really only looking at two. So there's a bunch of different ones, including you know math and logical. Um, there's verbal linguistic. What you're talking about that you're intelligent in uh, is uh, intrapersonal and interpersonal. So it's mm-hmm. two separate ones. Interpersonal, you're good at seeing the relationships between people and the psychology behind it and understanding that. And you've worked on things that have helped develop that. But also intrapersonal, which is yourself. So you're also good at looking within yourself and seeing 
well, why does this bother me? And able to puzzle out your own uh, psychology. Yeah. And I could see how that could be difficult for people. As you said, like not, it's, I'm going to relate it to a conversation I had with my six-year-old last week. One of her friends got upset and started crying because she said, like my daughter, she said to my daughter, you're smarter than I am. And she was upset by that. And so my daughter's telling me this. And I said, well, what do you mean? She said, do you think that you're smarter than her? What does that even mean? And we started just talking about, you know, how different people have different talents and different abilities. And some things are going to come naturally to you that are going to be a little more challenging for her. And some things are going to come naturally to her that are a little more challenging for you. But none of that equals you're smarter or she's smarter. You know, it's Mm -hmm. just certain things are just easier. And so, yes, for me, relationships and dealing with myself and dealing with people, that maybe is easier for me. And there's going to be some therapists who are like, well, fuck, I really need to work on that. But like, technically, they might be Mm 7,000 times better than I am, right? Yeah. Yeah, they might just not have worked on it. And honestly, like there's different jobs for different types of people. You know, there might be somebody who's not a people person at all, but maybe they're amazing with the body and figuring out the mechanics of it. Um, and maybe they, you know, just need to brush up on their, their people skills. But I always tell my clients is to focus on your strengths. Like strong people focus on their strengths. Weak people focus on their weaknesses. And you can shore up your weaknesses with other people. So you could maybe find a, a partner who is really good with people and you don't have to you know, stress and strain to where your your weak spot is. I mean, you can kind of put up some some basics, but if that's not your area of strength, um, I'd rather see people focus on what they're really good at. Kind of like uh, Einstein. You wouldn't have Einstein play on your basketball team, would you? I don't know. what. I... <laughs> <laughs> I'd want Einstein to play on the basketball team as much as I'd want myself to be on the basketball team. You guys can both <laughs> ride the bench. Yeah, that's true. Understanding your own strengths is is very important as well because you can, you know, beat your head against the desk forever and ever and ever trying to master something when you've got a lot of things that you're probably already really great at and you can create your career around the things that you're really great at. I'm not saying don't work mm-hmm. on the other things, but you're putting energy in the wrong place. When you're with a client, can you tell by talking with them? what their strengths and weaknesses are just by conversation and then you prompting them through interview types of yep. questions would you be able to tell what someone's strengths and weaknesses are 100 percent. that's always been my skill um i've always been able to see people's value uh i don't know it's just something i noticed about myself when i was younger i'd be like oh you're good at this or you're good at that like after talking with people and they're like oh no i'm not I'm like yes you are like you literally have it's like walking on their land i can do like a, a gold finder or something like out on people's land, I'm like, yeah, you have gold sitting right here. You're using it as a, as a door, you know, doorstop or something. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, no, it's just the doorstop, you know. And it's like, no, you're literally you have gold sitting there. You should be taking advantage of this. When you express this to your clients, your coaching clients, are any of them like kind of taken back? Like, whoa, I didn't think that was a weakness, or ooh, I didn't, I didn't think this was a strength. Or are they? Is it normally like, yeah, they're they're agreeing with with what you're saying there? Um. Surprisingly, most of them know. They know it's a strength. They just have, they think, or they're kind of, they call it, they just say it's easy. Mm-hmm. So they recognize that it's easy for them. They just don't see that as valuable. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's, yeah, understanding that what you are good at could possibly help you in the career you want. Like sometimes people just have that mental block where it's like, I need to do more of this, more of this, more of this. And then Eric comes in and says, 
what if you started doing more of this that you're already really good at? Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, no, that's easy. I, I can see that yeah. happening because that's okay, how okay, okay. that's conversations I have with people all the time. I'm like, but you're so like, you're so great with whatever it is. Have you ever seen it though go where someone thought they had a certain strength and you pointed out that what they got going on is actually a weakness and they're like, what the fuck? I thought this was a strength the whole fucking time. Um, I think so. That, you know, I can't think of a certain instance right now that comes to mind, but uh, there are circumstances where I'm like, you know, stop doing that. You just spent eight hours sweating over this marketing, you know, Facebook ad and you're terrible at it. <laughs> you know, you need to be, you need to go do a massage and for an hour and pay someone else who can spend an hour on the ad. You know? Mark and I actually had somebody get up and walk out of one of our business classes one time. It's, it's the only time it's ever happened. And I've talked about it on other episodes, but we were just trying to point out this. that what she was doing, although not necessarily bad, we were trying to show her how she could make it better. So like basically we went around the room, like give us you some ideas what, though, of some of the marketing you're doing it, already. It wasn't even that we can make it better. We were also pointing out to her, you, you are having to do this one thing that you're doing because you're missing a big chunk somewhere else. Right. And if yeah. you were actually filling that gap, what you're doing now is completely unnecessary. So let's mm-hmm. teach you how to fill in that gap. Yeah. Basically anything we said, she was telling us, well, well, that won't work. Well, that won't work. And we were what do you, like, mm-hmm. what do you mean that? But it was that mindset. Like you said, she just kept saying, well, that won't work. No, my clients won't go. Over. No, that'll never work. And then it ended up, she said, so basically what you're telling me is you want me to kiss my client's asses. This is ridiculous. And she got up and walked out. I'm like, did I tell her to kiss anyone's ass? Like, <laughs> I don't know what just happened there. <laughs> That's funny. So, so we weren't funny. trying to tell her, it, like, we weren't trying to tell her anything she was doing was wrong. We were just like, you know, let's look at this from a different angle. And no, absolutely mm-hmm. not. Yep. That's where I'd dive in and be like, why did that make you angry? <laughs> you know, why did that, what is, what is it about that that pissed you off? Because maybe she's tying her identity too much to her advertising or she's uh she's already got that mindset like you said like a lot of people it's backwards like we think that people are logical and they collect evidence and then they make a decision no it's usually they make a decision and then they find evidence to support that yeah absolutely and like i hear it all the time and i like i said i'm very good at spotting when i'm doing this shit where i'm making assumptions of like why something won't work or why it can't work or why it's a bad idea um mark's definitely helped get me out of that in certain instances because mark's the guy that thinks literally everything is possible so if i say something like oh i would oh, I would love to do this, but I haven't even finished my sentence on the but. And he's looking at me, he's like, all right, so do it. And I'm like, no, but. And then he's like, all you need, and what, stop, I'm, I'm trying to say but. And he won't even let me get to the end of the but. Like his <laughs> sen- the sentence should end at, I want to do this. And then he's like, okay, so how do we do it? Like he doesn't let me get that but out because everything is possible. You want to do it? How do we do it? And I'm like, fuck, mm-hmm. it's so frustrating, but good at the same time. Sorry. <laughs> I love it. I think that's a great attitude. I always tell my clients, I'm like, you know what? I when I will be the last person to say we can't do that. I'll be the first person to say, let's figure out how we can do that. Tell me about uh, some of the other soft skills. Uh, people aren't going to want to hear this one because it's got a bad reputation. Right, Uh, but sales, selling is everything. Honestly, like salesman is like a bad term. But if you look at what sales actually is, I'm selling you right now on the concept of what selling is. Yep. Like it's just explaining a point of view and having the other person accept it. It's explaining a product or explaining 
you know, it's finding a, a, a problem that the person has and showing how your product or service can help them. Yeah. And if you're coming at it from a place of authenticity and coming at a place where you really are rock solid on what you offer and what you can provide, then sales is a no brainer. Yeah, absolutely. People will jump on board if you if you believe in what you're selling or what you're doing. And you, like you said, if you're genuine about it, then other people that that are with you and they believe it, you don't you don't really have to do much actual selling. You're just you're just being you. Yeah. And people have an issue with like, oh, I don't want to sell people a package of massages. Like I, I, I feel bad taking that all that money from them. I'm like, are you really taking all that money from them? Aren't you giving them a deal? And they're like, well, yeah, but I'm I'm taking a lot of their money, and then I have to hold on to it, and they trust me. With it. And it's like, okay, well, you know, that's a, a perspective issue for you. Like, don't put that on them. Don't don't deny them the opportunity to have this awesome package where they can support you. Um, you know, and people have that mindset all the time about receiving money, and it's like receiving money is like breathing in. You have to breathe in. You have to breathe out. You can't just be breathe out the entire time. Yeah, definitely sales. I re- when you said um, that people weren't going to want to hear it, I was actually really curious as to what you're going to say. And as soon as you said sales, it brought me back to 2007. And I had just quit a job in fitness because I, I wasn't happy where I was. And I just needed to get a job, like any job to make money so that I could fuck off for a couple months and travel and then go back to school. And uh, this one job, the job posting literally said the only experience required was sales. And I mean, I worked in, in gyms for years, so sales was all I knew. So I apply for this job and I remember when I got it, and I, I said to somebody, well, uh, unfortunately, I'm a salesperson. And I really felt that way. I felt like, unfortunately, I'm a salesperson. But it took me a long time to realize, like once I got into massage therapy, I didn't feel like I was a salesperson. But I, I mean, I'm selling every day. But now mm. the difference is I'm not bullshitting people. I'm not being manipulative. I am giving people something that I think they need. I'm giving people something that they believe in. So it doesn't feel like I'm selling things. But yeah, of course, sales matters. How are you, how do you expect to make six figures if you're not selling anything? Yep, 100%. So what else? Psychology, sales? So psychology, sales, um, I think um, presentation. A lot of people don't experience their massage environment enough from the perspective of a client. Yeah. So if they can if they can clear their mind and, and have someone else work on them in their massage environment, I know just a client, you know, uh, a couple of sessions ago, she mentioned this. She was like, oh, when I was when I received the massage for the first time in my own place, and she'd had her place for months. Uh, at this point, she was like, I realized I couldn't hear the music that well, you know, or I realized that um, you know something was wrong with the the headrest cover or, you know, the bed's too warm or things like that. Like it, you don't know what the client's experiencing until you get there in their shoes yeah. and experience it. And, um, a lot of people don't focus as much on, on the other parts of it. They think the touch is the only part, but there's, you know, the, think about the smells, think about the, what the visual part of the massage or think about the, um, what they're hearing, you know, and think about the entire experience. The place I go for massage. <laughs> I'm laughing so much right now. The place I go for massage, um, because of extra disinfecting because of COVID, mm-hmm. the 
the floors, I'm, I think they're probably like laminate type floors. And they are using the same disinfectant spray on the floors as they do on everything else. So this one particular therapist that's there, as she's walking around her table and treating her, she's wearing sneakers and all we hear is on the floors. So I mentioned to her, like it was actually my daughter was getting a treatment and I said, um, like what's going on with your floors? Like, you know, try not to be rude, but also like what, what's happening here? And so she told me about that and I said, could you guys not get like an area rug or could you maybe use a different cleaner or like, what about getting, you know, shoes that don't have rubber soles? Like this is really off putting for the entire hour hearing. Like I feel gross just doing it. Yeah. And the, the honest thing is a lot of therapists get stuck. They get stuck in kind of their own mode, their own, you know, system. They're like, I'm just showing up, just putting in the hours. Um, And I think that's the difference as well between excellent therapists and just good ones or okay Mm -hmm. ones is that they don't, aren't constant. They realize it's a constant evolution. It's a constant change. It's a constant shift. Um, I would say my massage style changes every two years uh, on average. And that's just a shift toward what I'm interested in, a shift toward what I'm learning about. I'm constantly Mm -hmm. learning, trading with new people, um, finding new tools. Uh, to work with. I think that that's what's kept me interested and kept me successful this whole time is people love the evolution and people are afraid of change. Like the therapists are afraid that if I change something, then people won't like it. And it's like, well, you can always change back, but at least test out some things. Yeah, for sure. Mark has a few um, interview questions that he's recently decided to add into almost all of our podcast episodes because he wants to get different therapist perspective on certain things. What are some of the interview questions that you want to ask Eric? What is your favorite thing to do on the table? Oh, that's a good one. I love, um, I've been playing with table tie for the past couple of years. And I love just some of the different stretches, like the psoas stretch on the side. I love sideline actually. Um, I don't, I know therapists don't do as much sideline as they need to. I've only discovered it in the past couple of years. I say discovered because, you know, people normally do it for prenatal, but one day I was working on somebody who's pregnant and I was like, why am I reserving this awesome, you know, neck move for, just someone who is pregnant. I was mm-hmm. like, what about non-pregnant people? Right. And so that got me experimenting with that. And I started doing some table tie. It's the, how you do this move is you, when they're sideline, it's hard to describe the draping, but basically you put your foot up right up against their low back yep. to protect the low back. And you grab the, the top leg and you pull it back. Mm-hmm. So you're stretching to sew stretch. So it looks similar to a lunge. Right, like right. a lunge or warrior one. Nice. That's one of my favorite things. I'll steal it now. <laughs> there we go. Do it. Of all the educators that you've had, who has made the biggest impact on you and why? Um, that's a good question. There is a therapist named Angela um, here, and she's been kind of like a massage mentor to me. I actually just saw her today. We traded massages. Um, and she is, fantastic she influenced me uh when i met her a few years ago just because she was so ballsy in in what she'd do she was like go to sun valley uh, which is a place a bit north of here where all the rich movie actors go and multi-millionaires and stuff like clint eastwood has a house there um you know a lot of big name actors it's kind of like a little alpine village in the middle of idaho but she goes up there and works with people and just completely ballsy and and 
saying like, you need to be on my table. Like you need work. Like she can just read people. She's been working for over 20 years doing massage and she can read people like just from the way they're standing and being like, you need to be on my table. I need to work on you. They agree. They're like, okay, <laughs> just <laughs> sign up. And I was like, that's amazing. I love that. This is our interview question. Where do you see yourself in five years? <laughs> Ooh, I love this one. I'm always thinking about the future and like what, what's down the pipeline. Um, I have a lot of ideas. Future seems kind of like this big, awesome, foggy, massive, awesome ideas. Um, so admittedly, eventually I want to get into making some, some different movies, like go back to the acting. But with the path I'm on right now, I would foresee uh, the coaching business growing um, into something a lot bigger. So I want to I want to actually spread. I want to move from just massage. I want to start working with uh, other body workers like Reiki practitioners and um, even possibly like estheticians and uh, some other trade skills that are similar. Uh, grow the business into like have some have some group coaching uh, options which are available because the main thing that stops people from signing up for coaching immediately, even though they love the idea of it, is usually they're in a financial mind right because of uh you know that's the whole reason they need the coaching it's kind of chicken egg situation so having like a an option a group option for them to get in so they can at least learn the basics and start generating some fun so now might be a good time then and for anyone listening that's like yes like they they like what you're saying they need some help they want to invest in themselves now's probably a great time maybe to give people some information how do they find you how can therapists um, oh, and also, like, do you have a some kind of like screening or vetting process? Do you take everyone on as a client, or do you have to sort of interview them first? So I have them submit a discovery application. So just so I can, and I have a discovery call with them just to make sure that we are a good fit. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what I tell people. You know, when they even when they ask how much it is, I'll be like, it's free, and they're like, what do you mean it's free? I'm like, well, if we don't, if we start working together and it's not good for you, and it's not good for me, then it's free because we're not going to work together. <laughs> Perfect. So how do people sign up for your free services, Eric? Where do we find you? <laughs> <laughs> well, the free services that we're not working together. So if they do want to work together, uh, I would tell them to check out my uh, Facebook group. So there's a group that I have created called the Happy Successful Massage Therapist. Um, and you can find me on there and message me on Facebook if you want. Uh, just add me as a friend and message me. Or if you want to look at thegear.biz, that's my website. And they can contact me on there through the, the contact form or there's my email. I guess I can just tell you my email is eric at thegear.biz. Uh, Degear is my last name. That's spelled D-E-E-G-E-A-R. Awesome. Thank you. I know Mark has at I least have, one I've, more I've question. Got two more. Two, two more. more. Yeah, I know what they are. So now that you've given us your five-year plan, you win the lottery tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> are we still doing all of this stuff? Or are we just like saying, screw that. <laughs> Plans change. Lottery won. <laughs> um, one of my first mindset things that I changed when I started the business coaching is that money mindset of like money is not scarce. So when I've been operating, doing this coaching, doing massage, doing any of it, like I've never had money as the focus. So if I won the lottery tomorrow, that'd be great. I'd probably invest it in some more Tesla stock, but, um, I would 
keep doing what I'm doing. Like, I love it. It's so fulfilling working with people. Um, I've always loved working with people on the table and being able to talk with people while they're on the table and do, you know, and help them figure out problems and stuff. And I probably, it's probably outside the scope of massage therapy, but that's why I moved into coaching <laughs> was, uh, I like helping people with their, their problems. I can see the value that they have and even if they can't see it and when they discover their value and discover their passion. It's just the most exciting thing in the world, watching that light up. This is like all warm and fuzzy. And this last one, <laughs> we're making this last one specific to the guests. Yeah. So our last guest told us that um, she has a trucker mouth, and so we asked her... What's your favorite swear word? Favorite swear word? <laughs> and since you brought up the acting, I would like to know the cinematic moment that every time you watch it, it gives you goosebumps. Oh, that's a good one. Mm. That is a good one. Um, hmm. No pressure. <laughs> it doesn't have to be your favorite. Just a cinematic moment that when you see it every time, Ooh, you, get, you get chills. Too. I'm going to think of I'll, one I'll give you, for me, I know the end saying. of Rocky Two, I get fucking chills every time. That's awesome. Probably have to be from, well, not in a good way, the chills. <laughs> but the, one of my favorite movies is The Matrix. And, um, I mean, there's several parts in there where they like, there's a really good scene, but the part that always gets me the, gives me the chills of the heebie-jeebies is that the, um, what is the little skittering robot that like goes into his belly button Yeah, yeah, yeah. and they're yeah. holding him down yep, yep. on the interview table. Yeah. So, Hey, there's Keanu Reeves again showing up. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking it, but I didn't want to say it. <laughs> oh, those chills moments. Sometimes it's even just a fucking look from an actor, you know, like that scene in, uh, Godfather two where fucking Michael just hugs Fredo. Like he's like, he's he, like Fredo thinks he's being forgiven and Mikey's hugging him and Mikey's staring at the other dude. It's like, you're killing him tonight. Kind of thing. Oh, it just gives chills. chills. <laughs> yeah. I love it. No, I love I, it. Yeah. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Is there anything else you want to share before we wrap this up tonight, Eric? Anything else that maybe we didn't touch on that you wanted to let the masses know about you? So there, there is one more fun, funny thing that y'all probably love. Um, I made a card game. So uh, I love, you know, massage gives me a lot of spare time. And uh, one of the things that I love to do is play games, like card games video games, board games, mind games. And so I made a card game. I was chilling with my friend one time and we decided, I was like, you know what they don't have? They have a lot of drinking games, but they don't have any smoking games like uh, for weed. Mm -hmm. And so I decided to make up a weed game and you can find it on Amazon Prime. It's called 420 The Card Game. Mark's it's listening. It's a great Christmas gift. All right, All right. I'm going to look this up. Four, <laughs> 420 The Card Game. It looks like that's what I'm going to have to get you as a stocking stuffer. <laughs> <laughs> This has been really interesting, Eric, and I actually think that we probably will have to do a part two at some time because I feel like you've got so much more knowledge to share, so many more fun stories. I mean, we didn't even dive into the fact that you're from, you know, a family of 10 kids and... There's probably so many things that you could talk to us about, but for now, um, this is some really good information and I like what you're doing and, uh, Anyone who is listening, definitely get in touch with this guy if any of this resonated with you and you feel like you need a little bit of a push in your career. Um, yeah, get a coach, man. So thank you. This has been really fun. You guys have been listening to Two Massage Therapists in a Microphone. Peace. <laughs>